Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Hughes Views, sponsored by Amphibian Apparel, whatever the situation, home, streetwear and sport, no excuses. And our other sponsor is KH Decorating, making your house a home. As plugged on our social media accounts this week, today's episode is about uh, Crystal Palace. I'm looking at Monday's result against Brighton, uh, the future for Crystal Palace into next season. And we've had a few Instagram questions, so thank you very much for those and keep those coming in uh, for the following weeks. So Dan, um, I'm just going to go through the stats from Monday. Brighton and Crystal Palace at the Amex. Brighton had 25 attempts to Palace 3. Brighton 5 shots on target with Crystal Palace 2. Touches in the opposition's box. Brighton with 52. Uh, Crystal Palace with 2. 13 corners to none in Brighton's favour. And 75% possession to Brighton with 25% Palace. So I guess the first question, Dan, is obviously the result was fantastic from a Palace fans perspective to get one over Brighton in their own backyard is fantastic and I guess if we're to now the dust has settled a bit and the you know the hype from Monday night has but uh, in the past now the performance I know I've spoken to you earlier in the week you weren't that happy with the performance do you think that Roy set Palace up correctly? I don't think it's a case of Roy setting us up correctly for the game against Brighton as a one-off. I think Roy Hodgson's been setting Palace up in that sort of way all season. Um, and when I spoke to you earlier in the week, I think that's the that's the issue that I have. So, so for me, you know, like you quite rightly mentioned, it's great to have a win over Brighton, especially um, at the Amex and. They've been they've been playing quite well of late, um, but as you you know, we'll come on to it. But they can't seem to finish um, their chances. But am I happy with the result? Absolutely. Am I happy with the way that we're playing? No. And I think that's what we we need to discuss. Really, the thing for me is that you're playing very defensively, but we don't have enough in our locker to keep teams out for the whole 90 minutes everybody knew their job but it, it doesn't make it any better that this is the way that we'll set this set up this way against Fulham on Sunday as well I've got no doubts I think looking ahead of the game obviously it was Will Zaha make it will he not and when I found out on the Monday afternoon that Zaha was, wasn't travelling you know I've, we've got quite a few friends mutual friends who have said you know what we'll take a draw um, and I was still in that mindset you know, even when we went one nil up, Brighton were knocking. Uh, you know, the stats. You know that I've read out. It doesn't lie. And um, there was a spell from about the 55th minute, and even around their goal, about 15 minutes after that, where we, you know, absolutely peppered Palace's goal. Um, Gaeta again. You know, he's uh, Mr. Reliable and he plays well most weeks. You know, you you always get a seven or eight out of ten uh, from Gaeta, and I thought the back four were phenomenal uh ward kayate cahill mitchell um you know bodies on the line um and i think we've probably wanted to see that in previous weeks i'm thinking burnley three nil liverpool seven nil um you know where you'd like to see bodies on the line and throwing everything in front of it and they absolutely did that on monday and you know all the defenders any of them could have got man of the match really Ayu again played he was fantastic he battled so hard for for a striker to play on the right wing um, got the assist for Mateta's goal you know he worked his socks off it's a toss up between him and probably Cahill for my man of the match um, and I think like you say I, I don't know what our game plan was because our midfield seemed non-existent Redevald Milivojevic and Eze, I'd love to know how many touches they got between the three of them because 
Eze was a passenger for a lot of that game. Um, so I guess the question I was I'm trying to ask is, like, what was our game plan? I, I I didn't I didn't see a game plan really, and I didn't really know where the goals were going to come from. The fact that we only had two touches in the opposition's box and there were two goals, you know, that's that's fantastic. You can take your chances. But against other teams, um, like you say, if Brighton had a, a potent goal scorer, um, you know, Mopé another day, Welbeck, it, it, you know, it could have been 4 or 5-1 quite comfortably. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing for me is, oh, having watched the game, there was a couple of instances I noticed that, you know, we're penned in, but when we release the ball um, and it goes up to sort of Mateta or just past the halfway line, there was two or three instances out where their goalkeeper was picking up the ball 45 yards out from goal like and then just and then releasing it back onto their center half for it to just come back to us every single time and like you quite rightly said you know against burnley against liverpool i think that the the issue that we had against liverpool was that we actually tried to play football as it were and we just got it all wrong we tried to take the game to liverpool and that's probably the one game where you could argue Maybe we should try and be defensive, try and pack it out and frustrate them and hit them on the break. Now, for some reason, we didn't do that. We tried to play, you know, free-flowing football and we got an absolute hump in. So I can kind of understand that Roy Hodgson's always been known for his defensive um, capability and the way that he sets up his team defensively. That's brilliant. Uh, last season, even in his first season where he came in, we you know we'd lost seven games at the start of the season, and he he led us to safety and quite comfortable safety by the end of the season. I, I think most people would agree. My issue isn't you know I've spoken to other fans of, of the club, and they say what do you want? You know we're an established Premier League team. What do you want exactly? Do you want to be pushing for Europe? No, not necessarily. What I do want is to enjoy, as a fan, watching us play football week in and week out. You know, the results, it's a results-driven business. I want to stay in the Premier League without any doubt. But the football that we've been playing, it's its comical. It's so boring. And in the situation that we find ourselves in where we can't actually go to the stadium, the question I ask you and anybody, any of the Palace fan listeners or any listeners is, if fans were able to go to Sellers Park, would they stand for the football that is being played out? And would Hodgson still be the manager? I think it's um, it's on top of this season as well, right? Obviously, we're halfway through this season. But I think even last season when fans couldn't go to the ground, it was bad then as well. Um, you touched upon the fact that football's a results-driven business. The fact that Palace are 13th in the league, 32 points. I think if you ask Palace fans, if I said to you going into March, prior to the Fulham game on Sunday, you're 13th in the table, you're on 32 points. You know, if we say the magical figure is 38 points, and we've said in previous podcasts, I think maybe 30 to 32 points is enough, given the state of uh, West Brom um, and Sheffield United. It's it's one of those things, and Hodgson said this week, um, look at Charlton Athletic. You need to be careful what you wish for. And I'm thinking previous teams who have, you know, kind of gone for the jugular. You know, like Stoke City, they got rid of Tony Pulis. They got in Mark Hughes. They had all these um, big names in there. They went down, and Stoke haven't come back up since. Now, with Crystal Palace, there's no hiding that our squad is aging. There's a lot of players who are running down their contracts. 
We've had Van Aanholt in the news today. He's discussing um, a potential move to an unnamed um, Champions League club in Europe. So, you know, it's, players like that are going to get their heads turned. And you, you could say that a few Crystal Palace players this season are taking their wages and not really putting in the results. But I think part of that is having that um, negative setup that Hodgson can perhaps... You know, the way he puts the teams out is that you're strangling players like Max Meyer's gone, for example. If you had someone who, um, you know, would let players like that, you know, play without um, the shackles on, for example. So Max Meyer was always playing out wide when he came on. If you played him in the 10 and you played Eze in the 10 and just said, you know what, your job is to pick up the ball and just drive at players. And we know that Eze can do that. He's shown that. Um, And I think Monday aside where he was a bit of a passenger before that you know this season I've been pretty pleased with um, the way that Eze played so it's it's a very fine margin between what the Crystal Palace fans want do you want to stay in the Premier League every season Um, or do you want to play attacking football with the risk that you could go down I'm thinking Alan Pardew we went to Swansea and we lost 5-4 I think we were 4-3 up in added time and we lost 5-4 now you look back at that and a neutral would say, what a fantastic game of football. Crystal Palace fans are tearing their hair out going, if we keep playing like this, we're going to end up getting relegated. And that season, I think it was uh, the FA Cup final season. If we hadn't got to the FA Cup final, if we got knocked out in the last 16 quarterfinals, whatever, Pardew would have been sacked a long, long time before. And the season after, he did go. So it, it, it's one of those things, isn't it? And we've spoken to... A few people. I think the Premier League is broken up into three different parts, right? You have the top seven who uh, are going to go for Champions League football, European football and challenge for the title. You have the bottom six teams who, you know, they're thereabouts, they're fighting for relegation and that's including some of the promoted teams. And then you have the rest who make up the numbers between from about seventh to about 14th. And I think Palace are there. Um, you know, that's where we are at the moment and I think that's where we'll stay. Do I want Roy Hodgson in charge of us next season? Probably not. I think he's, what, 73, 74? I think he's taken the club as far as he can. I think it needs a fresh outlook, and we'll touch upon that, what happens to Crystal Palace next season. But I think we need to... And it's not just the manager, because I think the board needs to have a look as well. Um, The way that we've conducted our transfer policies in a few seasons has caught up with us. You know, the fact we've got 13, 14 players out of contract and I think we must have one of the highest average age groups in the Premier League. We must do. And that speaks volumes as well. So, Dan, like I just said, what happens to Crystal Palace next season? Who comes in? Should Roy go? I've got a little bit of um, a shortlist for you. You know, names that have been rumoured and it may be that someone comes in who's not on this list. We've got Daesh, Howe, Cooper from Swansea, Lampard, Terry or, like I say someone off the top of your head who do you think comes in if Roy goes I think that we'll probably play it safe in the sense of probably a British based manager I don't think we'll make the same mistake as uh, we did with Frank De Boer uh, in terms of trying to get trying to attract a European manager unless it's uh, an up and coming coach from the from the championship I wouldn't like to say who comes in but I do agree with you in the sense that I think that Hodgson shouldn't be the manager next next season. Actually, I don't think Hodgson should be the manager now, but that's, you know, it is part part of it. We are probably going to be safe 
given that we obviously got uh, the three points on Monday and should we get a result against Fulham on Sunday, then, you know, 35 points, I would expect us to pick up another eight to ten points with the remaining games. But if Fulham were unfortunate enough to not get out of the relegation fight, my pick would actually be Scott Parker if we could price him away, of course, from Fulham. Um, I think the first half of the season they were awful, but he they seem to fight for him and whatever he's whatever philosophy he's trying to put across to his players is clearly working. Um, you could argue that if they had picked up a few more points in the first few months of the season, they wouldn't they you know they could be level on points of us the way that they're playing. So that's an interesting one. I think the other thing as well that you touched on, uh, Al, about how Hodgson's come out in the press and said, be careful what you wish for. And, you know, you spoke about Stoke and that sort of thing. The, the, the problem that I have is that London is such a lucrative offer to a lot of players. So my fight and argument here is that this is probably, whether it's ageing or not, this is probably the best Crystal Palace side we've ever had. And there is a sense of underachievement for me. Uh, you know, a failed FA Cup final a few years back. Um, we've got, again, as you say, an ageing squad. My issue is, is that if we are in that second third of the table that you broke down for me, then why aren't we taking cup competition seriously? Because if we are an established club, and, the, you know, the, for the neutral, a lot of pundits have said, oh, you know, we don't look at Crystal Palace as a, a team that are in any danger of going down. That's fine. But we've also gone out of the FA Cup in the third round for the last three seasons. So, and, and you know, don't get me started on the Capital One Cup because the big the big clubs will rest their, play, their entire first team squad until they get to the quarterfinal, semi-final. So there's a real opportunity for these lesser clubs like ourselves to try and get to try and poach some silverware. You know, there, there's no reason why we can't put out a first team in the cup and, and try and get, you know, bypass those, those uh, early rounds. So, yeah, <clears throat> I totally agree. Um, if we're always going to be there or thereabouts and be safe, you think that going for a cup would be... Um, at the forefront, especially of the, the board, uh, you know, let, let's try and um, earn a bit of money uh, that way. I'm looking at Crystal Palace's uh, FA Cup results. Obviously, we were unlucky to, well, we actually weren't unlucky to go to Wolverhampton and lose one nil. Um, I could have, I think everybody could have told you before Wolves are going to win that game. Um, the season before, in January 2020, lost at home to Derby one nil. Uh, in March 2019, losing away at Watford 2-1. And I think we went on a quite a decent run there. Um, and I'm thinking League Cup, so this season or the season before, uh, lost to Colchester United on penalties. I think this season was Bournemouth on penalties. Hennessy hit one over. It's teams like that you think we should be winning those games and we should be you know, taking the competition seriously. I wonder the reason Hodgson probably doesn't. He probably doesn't think he has the squad depth. And you could agree... Uh, to a certain extent that the squad uh, the squad hasn't been good enough I'm thinking of a lot of um, players who have gone out on loan who have previously you know filled up slots on the bench at the moment I don't even think we're, fi we're filling the substitutes bench so that from Roy's perspective he must think I don't think I've got a squad capable enough to go on three fronts and go in two cup competitions and go in the league and 
the league is uh, the bread and butter. Um, and that, that's not me defending Roy, but I think we would all take... Would, if, would you take a FA Cup win if it meant that you got relegated from the league? Or would you take, uh, you know, 10-odd years in the Premier League and still going, but you haven't won any cup competitions? Even bigger teams, uh, West Ham haven't won any cup competitions. Tottenham haven't won any cup competitions for a long, long time. Um so, you know, it's not just us. There's teams better than us who, uh, you know, aren't bringing the silverware home. Going back to the original point about what manager do we think comes in, you said that you'd have Roy gone now rather than next season. I think the board are probably going to back him now. And I think especially the Brighton games probably bought him a few more weeks. And the fact that if, you know, we're on 32, if he can make that to 38 points before March is out, um, he'll be in charge until May. He might think, I've got one more year left in me. Um, I think the majority of Palace fans would say, you know, thank you, but no thank you. Um, leave while you can and leave on a high. You know, he's taken Palace very, very... He's taken Palace far. Um, but I think he's done all that he can. And then do we go with an attractive way of football? Someone like Eddie Howe had Bournemouth playing some quite good football with arguably a, a lesser squad than Palace. Or do you go with some stability with someone like Sean Dyche who's worked wonders with Burnley and, you know, a, a non-existent transfer budget? Is he just be coming south and could he, like you say, could he attract a, a better pool of players? Um, and could he get us defending again? Um, you know, clean sheets is something that we, we haven't really been uh, spoilt for clean sheets. Or do you go with uh, an unknown like someone like John Terry? I mean, that's the, the golden question. And I expect that... Parish probably um, has an idea up his sleeve of uh, who he'd like to, to speak to to bring in ahead of next season. Um, and, and we'll wait and see. But I think we will have uh, Hodgson for the rest of this season and, and then we'll go into the Euros and, and have a break. And um, when the players come back after the international uh, period, I th- I'd like to think we'll have a new manager in charge, but um, we will see. So the next three fixtures for Palace and Brighton, Dan, uh, Palace's next three are Fulham at home, Man United at home and Spurs away. Brighton's next three are West Brom away, Leicester at home and Southampton away. Uh, do you think Brighton will stay up? Yeah, I do, Al. I think, they, I think they'll be OK. The, the, the game for both teams, for, for us at Fulham and Brighton at West Brom, they're both huge games. And if Brighton could get three points at, at West Brom, then I think they'd be OK. And uh, the same goes for us. I think if we were to get the better of Fulham at the weekend, as I've already mentioned, I think that that would be fine. I think also as Brighton have got Southampton. Southampton's a funny one for me because they seem to be in free fall at the moment. I think they've, they've lost a, a fair amount of games there. Uh, and considering how, how brightly they started the season, I don't think there'll be any trouble. I think, you know, Leicester, they probably won't pick up any points against Leicester. But you could say the same about us. You know, I, I think personally, from the next three games, I think that Palace would be lucky to get one point out of a possible nine available. I think with, with Fulham at home, obviously, they've got their tails between their legs at the moment and they're, you know, on the relegation fight. Um, it's probably not the best time to play them. Um, I'd probably take a draw from that game and then we welcome Man United to uh, Sellers Park. Um, I think if they, if they really turn it on, I, I don't think we'll get any points there. And Spurs away. Um, Spurs are a mixed batch at the moment and they're playing in Europe as we're recording at the moment. Um, they haven't had a 
the best of times uh, in the Premier League as of yet. So if we can go there, um, hopefully have Zaha back. Um, if I was being optimistic, I'd say a point. Um, but we haven't really fared well at Tottenham uh, over the last few seasons. So like you say, if, if we get a point from the next three, um, I don't think we'd be too surprised uh, with Brighton. Um, obviously, West Brom away is absolutely huge. Um, you say, pardon the cliche, but it's probably a six-pointer. Um, Leicester at home. Uh, Leicester are, are really doing bits at the moment. Um, I'm really impressed with the likes of Harvey Barnes and James Madison. Vardy's not really hitting it, but you know, as a team, they, they're really making it tick. And uh, I watched their game at the weekend against Villa. Um, you know, in the first half, they absolutely blew them away. Uh, and and Brendan Rodgers has got them to play some really good football there. And Southampton away, it depends what Southampton team turn up, doesn't it? Um, like you said, they're not on the, the best run of results at the moment. Um, but Brighton don't score enough goals. So uh, if Southampton were to nick that 1-0 at St Mary's, you wouldn't be surprised by that result either. No, just, just, just to let you know that that is my pick for the Europa League. I know we were talking about that in the last episode, but uh, Leicester's my my pick for Europa League this season. So be interesting to see what our listeners think. Uh, obviously, message us if you've got differing thoughts. I know we've got a, a large Scottish following, so I'm sure there'll be a, a little bit of a bite back on that. So we had a couple of Instagram questions. Thank you very much for the questions that we've had in. Obviously, obviously tonight's uh, podcast is a Crystal Palace special, but we are looking over to Mason Mount. And thank you, Aaron, for the question on Mason Mount. Um, Dan, Maskell asks... Does Mason Mount deserve the criticism he gets from football fans? Yeah, I, I think it's well documented that Mason Mount obviously was Lampard's golden boy and all of the rest of it. But um, if I'm honest, I, I, I don't really see um, much criticism. So, I, you know, I, forgive me on that one. I, I, I don't think that there's anyone that's questioning his ability because, in my opinion, I, I don't really think that he's, you know, he's not one of the best in his position across the Premier League. He does a job, you know, he, he's got um, spits and spats of quality and he can come up with the goods, but not consistently, in my opinion. I, I think it personally, his best position is probably just behind a striker, but will he, will he feature regularly under uh, Thomas Tuchel is, uh, uh, is, is the question. Uh, obviously, this season, his hands are tied in terms of not being able to bring in his own resource, but in the summer, I can see him bringing in maybe a marquee signing that's going to do the, the job or, or potentially, you know, try and get some some more football out of Kai Havertz if, if um, he's fit and ready to go. I think with, and I did touch base with Aaron as he asked this on our uh, Instagram page, um, I think with Mason Mount, there there's a really good player there. Um, I'd like to see a bit more consistency from him. And he's, he's obviously got years ahead of him, right? And he's been at Chelsea since he was a young boy. So, he, he's living the dream, isn't he? Um, and he would hate to leave Chelsea, but I wonder if he could do with a move uh, to um, you know a, a lower Premier League side. And I'm thinking maybe if um, if Madison was to ever move on or Barnes was to ever move on, if Mason Mount could be prized away from Chelsea and go to Leicester. Um, I think Leicester and Chelsea are kind of there or thereabouts. But you're right. If Tuchel has his transfer plans and uh, in the summer he goes, you know, I want X amount of 100 million to spend, the players like Mason Mount may find his playing time restricted. And it's no secret that he played a lot under Lampard, but Tuchel may have different ideas and um, 
that's the thing about Chelsea. They're always um, they're always looking to spend the cash on a big player. So, like you say, if there is a marquee signing, um, it could be that someone like Mason Mount is is sacrificed. Yeah, I mean, this is just me completely off the dome here, but you could see a player potentially like Julian Draxler coming to Chelsea because of the relationship he has previously with the coach. Um, and, you know, OK, he's unproven in the Premier League, but he's proven across the European League. He, he, he's a class player, in my opinion. Um, so with the right setup at Chelsea, I think he could outshine Mason Mount quite comfortably. I've had a, another question from Jack. This is based on transfer targets. Uh, and he's named the three different criteria here. Um, and I think, just before we go into this, I think um, it'll be interesting to see post-Euros, if any players have a really, really good tournament, will they get that move to the Premier League? Um, so I'll be really interested to see post-June, July, what happens. Um, but Jack has said, I want you to pick, pick, I want you to pick three players um, and the, the first criteria is one affordable world star for one of the top four to compete with City. Um, obviously, there's no um, we can't hide behind the fact that Messi was linked with a move to City. Uh, if that comes around again in the summer and he looks to leave Barca and he goes to Man City, I mean, they're going to be some team and they're going to take some stopping. Um, looking at the traditional top four, I think um, Liverpool will need to bounce back. Um, I think they're absolutely desperate for Van Dijk to come back. Um, I always wonder what would happen uh, to Liverpool if one of Salah, Mane, Firmino ever went. Um, I think Salah has been linked with you know likes of Real Madrid in the past. So um, if they come calling, uh, I think Salah might be interested in speaking to them and. Real Madrid don't hold any punches when they look to sign a big player and they normally get the player that they're after, you know, likes of Hazard and, you know, across all the years, they've always bought in massive, massive players. Um, so, Dan, have you got an affordable world star for one of the top four to compete with City for next season? Yeah, I, I can think of a couple. Uh, you mentioned about Salah, uh, our, the, again, I'd, I'd like to see what our listeners think, but um, I don't think Liverpool would miss him as long as they could replace him with you know, as Jack has mentioned, somebody that has got that well, some world-class attributes. But the one for me that's irreplaceable at Liverpool, aside from Van Dijk, obviously we've mentioned, is Mane. Um, he, you know, he just glides with the ball and, and he can get you, you know, 30 yards up the pitch. And because of the pressing that, that Jurgen Klopp's got Liverpool doing, Salah doesn't really do that for me. He is, um, he doesn't really have the drive or, or the, you know, the work rate. When he's got the ball, you know, he's obviously top class, but uh, his off-the-ball work is is lacking for me. I think based on the sides in the traditional top four, as you mentioned, the, the team closest to City is still Liverpool at full strength. But I think that should... They, they could maybe look to chop up the, the front three and bring in someone. Who knows? I, the, the thing is, can, they, can anyone prize away players I mean, you mentioned the euros you know players like Haaland, players like mbappe they're the next generation but are they going to come to the premier league when you know harlan's been linked with real madrid and mbappe's been linked with real madrid as well are these players going to come and play in the premier league uh, man united obviously can't be over overshadowed in in that because they've always been able to bring big signings to the club but they in recent years they haven't really had anything that's been amazing you know Pogba hasn't really um but when he first re-signed for the club he wasn't the player that they thought they were going to get 
Um, the same with Harry Maguire, you know, £80 million price tag, purely in my opinion, just because he's he's English um, and he's obviously England captain now. But again, he's not he's not an £80 million player. We all know that. I mean, you're not when you can get Van Dijk for that sort of money. Do you reckon the likes of Man United could price someone like Jadon Sancho or Haaland, like you say, to the Premier League? I don't see why not. It would be interesting to see what Sancho and Haaland's plans are. Um, I think it would probably benefit them to stay at Dortmund for one season longer. The worry that I have is that it's you know well documented that in the past Bayern Munich have come and plucked Dortmund's best players, so which has stopped them from really pushing on and doing anything. It, so I wouldn't want them to just make that easy move from Dortmund to Bayern. Um, I would like to see them, you know, Sancho maybe return to the Premier League. And if he did end up playing for the red side of Manchester, it might, you know, put two two fingers up to, to City um, in, in a sense. But do you think they would need him necessarily if they were to get Messi in? No. Um, as you mentioned, I think City would be unstoppable across the league and all of the Cups if they were to, even at his age as he is, he's such a instrumental player there's no question that you know if you put Messi in in a team with the likes of Sterling firing on all cylinders and De Bruyne and you know it's it's a scary fault the only thing I would say is obviously Aguero <clears throat> has been uh, plagued with injury a little bit this season and, and obviously not got the minutes and Jesus isn't what I would call world class for a team of City stature so you know Messi's not going to come in and play centre forward we know that he's probably going to play a bit deeper. So they would probably need to scour the market themselves for a, for a centre-forward, in my opinion. A goal scorer, right. a proper goal scorer. All right. One of the other criteria that Jack's identified is one championship star ready to make the step up to the Premier League. So personally, um, the one person who I can who I can think of who is firing in all cylinders is Ivan Toney. Um, you know, I think Brentford probably will be there or thereabouts to come up this season and if they do I think they'll want to keep him and you know have a real good go at the Premier League um, but I'm thinking uh, if, if a team someone like uh, like Leicester if, if Vardy was to go um, or Ian Acho was going to go if they said to um, Brentford you know here's, here's 40 million for Ivan Tony, uh, I think that he can make the step up to the Premier League um, Ollie Watkins again another player from Brentford uh, he's taken you know he, he, like a duck to water in the Premier League and he's doing really well at Villa and also um, side Ben Rama you know at West Ham he just looks he's adapted to the Premier League so well um, it wouldn't surprise me if if, if Brentford don't make it, uh, I think Tony will definitely go. If they come up, can they hold on to him and, you know, have a season in the Premier League with him? Um, you know, that's the that's the one player for me. And obviously, Todd Campwell at Norwich, again, is another player who, um, you know, is fantastic in the Premier League. Um, and he was probably one of the standout players with Pukki when, when Norwich went down. So I think... Norwich probably look, you know, set on coming back up. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if they can keep those players. Um, but, you know, someone like Campwell, um, if Grealish was ever to leave, um, you know, Villa are going to need to fill that void. And I think Todd Campwell could be that um, the player. But have you got any championship stars, Danny, who are, who are on your radar? Yeah, I think it all depends on what happens with the teams that potentially, as you mentioned, Al could bounce back straight into the Premier League. You know, uh, for me, I, I, I liked the look of um, Jao Pedro, um, the Watford 
forward. So again, it depends if Watford are going to come back up. They're obviously not going to part with him, but if they if they come up short for any reason, then then he could maybe make the jump. We mentioned Tony, uh, Ivan Tony. That that makes perfect sense. I, I don't know if maybe the price tag that you mentioned is somewhat unrealistic. It's a lot of money for for an unproven player at at the top top level. But also, Brentford are probably in a position where they're sick and tired of having their top prospects and players poached from them. So as you mentioned, Watkins came in um, and he, he seems to have settled and he, he's definitely comfortable at the top level. And uh, and again, Ben Rama, a target for us. Um, I would have loved to see Ben Rama in a Crystal Palace shirt. So very envious of that move. And he is just, you know, again, an, another player similar to what we have in SAE and Zahar, but it's one of those players that just glides with the ball. He doesn't necessarily have a problem with... He's got so much confidence with the ball at his feet. Uh, the other one is probably Adam Armstrong. Uh, so his return this year is... I think he's got 19 goals this year so so far. So, you know, that speaks for itself. Could he come in and score double figures? I don't see why not. And the last criteria that Jack's outlined is one lesser Premier League player to step up to a top six side. Like I said earlier, I think Jack Grealish, um, he would walk into a Tottenham side. Um, I think he could probably do a job in any top four side, really. And he may not be the, the centrepiece like he's Aston Villa. But if he said, you know, I want to play Champions League football like a certain Wilfred Zaha, um, you know, I don't think um, Aston Villa would begrudge him that if the price was right. Um, and obviously he, I think he's going to go to the Euros this season. And I think if a team was to offer perhaps in the region of 40 to 50 million pounds for Jack Grealish uh, and he wanted to go uh, or wanted to at least talk to, you know, a top four side, um, I, I think he could go and I think he would do well uh, at Man United as well. Um so, Dan, yeah, your thoughts on uh, a lesser player. Um, obviously, we don't really want Zaha to go, and I don't think he would go to another Premier League side. I think, if anywhere, he'd probably go abroad. But have you got um, someone outside the top seven who could move to a team into the top four and, uh, and make the difference? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I agree with you on Grealish 100%. I think his price tag is probably a little bit higher. Um, again, I, I could see him at Manchester United quite quite comfortably and I think he would go straight in um, up Old Trafford the, the one thing about Grealish for me is that he showed some real um, grit with with Villa when he was linked before he obviously decided against it decided to stay with the club uh, as taking the captaincy on and he looks really comfortable with that but as you say with the Euros approaching depending on how he performs and how England perform I think he'll have offers um, over over the summer transfer window. I'd like to see him progress in terms of going from Aston Villa onto a onto a top club, um, and I think Man United are probably a team that could could use his services. The one for me that maybe we could have touched on is that Rafinha from Leeds. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, great, he's, great yeah, he's just he's an absolute steal. I think they only paid two million pounds for him. Um, and he's just adapted to the, the way the Premier League is now, and I don't know if that's you know maybe down to uh, Bielsa and his his tactics and his way of management, man management for him. But I look, he looks he looks like a top class player, and I don't think he would look out of 
out of shape in a in a you know playing bombing down the wing for a team like Chelsea, you know United, Tottenham, any, any of them really. Uh, you could argue you probably wouldn't have the right attributes for Liverpool or maybe Man City, but definitely the rest of the uh, traditional top six. Jack also asked a question uh, about the the final twenty three man squad uh, for, to take to the Euros. Who's Southgate pick? We will do a Euro special. Uh, a bit closer to that. Um, so thank you very much, Jack. And uh, we will cover that in a future podcast. So do keep your questions coming in. Anything you want to cover, um, we'll cover it. Um, just looking ahead, uh, good luck to all the British teams in Europa League action on Thursday. Um, this weekend sees Leicester host Arsenal and Chelsea host Man United. Um, so just a little look at those two games, Dan. Leicester, Arsenal and Chelsea United. Who do you think comes on top in those two games? I think Leicester will get the better of Arsenal. Uh, I, I don't see Leicester losing games at the moment. They they look, as you say, the game last weekend, they they just look like they're firing on all cylinders. Um, as for the Chelsea game against Manchester United, it's anyone's game. I think it depends on the lineups. So I'm going to leave it until right to the last to see what the lineups are like. But uh, I'd like to see, just a, from a neutral perspective, just an end-to-end game in that. Um, I think that Man United will probably get the win. What about yourself? Yeah, I, I, I can't really see past um, Leicester. Uh, I think uh, Arsenal would take a draw uh, at the King Power. Um, but I think if Leicester, if Leicester played like they did against Aston Villa, all by it, they were uh, a Jack Grealish short. Um, if Leicester turn it on, um, I, I think they'll get the, the result. And uh, with with Chelsea Man United, you never know. Um, you always hope it to be uh, you know a cracker of a game, but we've seen a few nil-nils over the season um, it depends how Tuchel sets them up um, but you can't really look past if Bruno Fernandes turns it on and he um, when he plays United play um, if, if they can go to Stamford Bridge um, you know really turn it on I wouldn't put it past them to take three points so as we said earlier keep your questions coming in uh, you can follow us at Hughes Views on Instagram and Hughes Views 2 on Twitter please do keep the questions coming in and any topics you want us to cover we will cover it Um, And we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, everyone.